Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Supermarcado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. I am really excited about today's episode. I have my Me own too. reasons, but today <laughs> is a Patreon suggested episode. But what's cool about today's episode is it's a category of shows that we've done that um, a handful I of remember these. when Carl and I had the idea, we're like, oh, that's really fun. Just to take a look at a single year in the history of video game music. We've done so many, you know, 1990, 91, 89, I think we've done. Mostly covering, yeah, classic years in game music history uh and today we're doing the year 1995 which was a fantastic year for games game music but also this is the year i was born so i feel like <laughs> I thought you were gonna say to it was a fantastic y- uh, year for the world because you were born that year um <laughs> yeah this topic no, comes from our patron jared uh so thanks jared and this is gonna be a really fascinating one like like will mentioned we've done a handful of these before but i find this particular moment in time a really interesting point in the generational, I guess, crossfade between different consoles. If we look what we have on our playlist today, it's dominated with the SNES. Um, that's just, there's no way around that. We also have the Genesis, and then we have a smaller representation from systems such as the PC, the PS1, the Saturn, the Arcade, the Virtual Boy, the Game Boy. So it's quite an interesting point in time. Absolutely. I do think some of my favorite games of the 16-bit era were released in 1995. And oh, it's, it's incredible. That late period, uh, Super Famicom, Super NES era is so interesting for games and game music because... It's like it seems like everyone's really having to step up their game to show that that console is still relevant in that yes. period in time. So it's like as people were moving on to the pl- the PlayStation and eventually the Nintendo 64, developers that made games for that system, it's like they reached a new level of polish. Similar thing happened yeah. with like 90s era uh, NES games and like beyond. I would say, and maybe I said this before, and whatever I said before, I'll take it back. I think 1995 is the strongest year for the Super Nintendo. It's absolutely incredible, and you guys are going to see that by the end of the episode. So the SNES just dominated 1995. Uh, we have to talk a little bit about this plan. We have to talk about Earthbound. So this is the only yes. example, if I'm not mistaken, um, because I think Jared specifically called this game out, where this originally came out in 94 in Japan, and it was released over here, over in maybe North America and Europe, but it was released in other regions in 95. So we're going to count that today but i believe everything else today uh, we're talking about original release dates for 95 you know for our medium of video games earthbound i think will go down as something like a it's a wonderful life or like it's it's a really classic game that's very Mm -hmm. defining and it's an example of something that was at the time a cult hit and not even a hit at all uh, but has gone on to be one of the most influential titles of its period and kind of something ahead of its time for how well, meta it is. Well, it's kind of it like is. the Pinkerton. It's the Pinkerton of video games because yeah. when it was released, it was uh, not very popular. Or I mean, it's possible it wasn't even that well received. I don't know. I didn't read reviews at the time. But it's become this cult classic and it's become one of the most beloved games of that well, era. Well, I, I think the irony is that you can have a game like Earthbound that's entirely unsuccessful in its time. In that decades later, you can have a game like Undertale, which is such a 
pastiche, honestly, to Earthbound. It's such a love letter to Earthbound in that that yeah. game becomes earnestly popular in its own time, well-reviewed, well-received. That's got to be a crazy feeling to anyone who was involved in the original game that's still around today. It's probably like, it's crazy. It's just, imagine seeing something like Undertale where it's like, this yeah. game, this soundtrack's getting so much acclaim, but it owes so much to the thing that we made a few decades ago. It's so ago. true. What, what you guys heard playing in was that really quirky and groovy reggae tune hospital from earthbound uh this is composed by suzuki and tanaka of course for the super nintendo and other than that title i believe everything else on our playlist today was originally released in 1995 um i want to make one final disclaimer before we get into some more music in one of our previous um year episodes i believe it was the 1994 one we kind of made some mistakes. We had at least one title that wasn't actually released originally in 94. And so I, hopefully we can make up for that today. I believe this is more of an accurate list here. Okay, so let's It's funny move how on. this is all public information and we still made mistakes. We still made, we still made a mistake, yeah. Okay, let's move on. It is on. a we're podcast, gonna, folks. We're going to go from Earthbound to Mega Man 7. This was originally released in 1995. Uh, this track we're going to play was composed by Makoto Tomozawa. This is Ruined Highway, the opening stage for Mega Man 7. Starting off with a bang, here we go. guys listening to ruined highway this is from Mega Man 7 it's already a great playlist oh my god just looking at all these titles it gets me so excited it is a greatest hits of this year for sure this is composed oh. by tomozawa uh for the super Dude, nintendo i needed this episode it's been a long time since <laughs> we've just done like classic oh. right down the middle home run not yes. that the episodes haven't been great but like classic era game music this is why we got into it Hell yeah. yeah. Ruined Highway. What a composition. I mean, this is like the epitome of classic to me from this particular era. One thing that's cool about this this playlist, in, in kind of unique, this happens once in a while. It's possible that that uh, Hospital from Earthbound might have been the, the sole exception. But other than that, and actually, I don't quote me on that. Every single track we're playing today, we've played before on the podcast. Every single track <laughs> is a classic. Exactly. That's Of course. I mean, you can't do like 450 episodes yeah. of a podcast on video game music and not play exactly. Ruined Highway from Mega Man 7. Oh, like man. These are times. all classics. It's just insane. I, mean, so the, I think the thing is, is like... We've already discussed and described in great detail why so much of this music is great. So I think the focus yeah. of today's episode is more to look at the context of a period in time and try to recapture a musical moment when, you know, the games of that particular year 
had this sort of musical vocabulary. This mm -hmm. was the kind of emotion that was in the zeitgeist. And I think rather than just doing a full analytical breakdown of, you know, all the theory behind every track, I think today I, it might be nice if we just take a slightly broader look. Because like you said, yeah. Carl, we've played and discussed all these tracks at least once before. And it's sometimes true. several, several cases. Okay, so now let's go from that rocking Japanese SNES track to an actual piece of rock music that was licensed for a Western PC game. This is Legacy by The Gone Jackals, which was used as the opening theme for Full Throttle, uh, a LucasArts PC game. Uh, that game was scored by Peter McConnell, and he was one of the people involved in kind of choosing this band and, and meeting up with them and, and getting to hear their music and, yeah, and eventually putting it in the game. You guys definitely need to go back and check out our first ever interview with Peter McConnell back in, I think, 2013. Classic stuff. Uh, it, it was a phone interview, and he was like eating <laughs> during this part, but he <laughs> told this amazing story about the lead singer of this band, The Gone Jackals, that arrived on his arrived to his house on on a bike on a and Harley kind of leaves yeah. this. Yeah. And it, it, like, it's such an amazing story. It feels like a classic story of, of game development. This is a classic piece of music. It's fun that we can call it video game music. This is legacy by the gone jackals originally from their album bone to pick and featured in full throttle. You guys are listening to Legacy, and this almost sounds like Final Fantasy VII battle music. Uh, it's such an awesome riff, such a rocking tune, a great way to set up the vibe of this game. Uh, it's performed by the Gone Jackals. If you want to check out uh, more of the Gone Jackals, listen to their whole album, Bone to Pick, which a handful of those those songs were featured in Full Throttle. And definitely and check out our so old interview with Peter. I mean, these are like classic rock and roll to a T. The bluesiness, yep. the darkness, that guitar tone, the vocal quality. I mean, it's like this was one of the first games that I think totally nailed a real world dirty aesthetic in a way that well, one thing I felt love, like a film. One thing I love about the Gone Jackals is they're quintessential American rockers. It's almost like taking equal parts ACDC and Tom Petty. And when you put that together, and, and a little bit of Leonard Skinner, when you put that together, it's just so much more American. Right. Uh, it's it's also a little on the grungy side because it is from the, the early 90s. So there's yeah, some grunge influence what, the, as well. The cool story about how they found this band is that they... Um, they, they did put a call out to a lot of kind of, you know, local punk rock 
kind of bands of a and certain style. Bands. Yeah, and kind of biker bands was really the type of sound that they were looking for, that hard rock sort of sound. And it ended up being, you know, the, the least expected, just some friend of a friend for Peter, someone who knew somebody who worked at LucasArts. It just ended up being perfect. this guy rolls up on a Harley, hands him well, this and demo they also, tape. And they also I mean, previously considered Soundgarden and even had a meeting with Soundgarden, but it, they ended up wanting a more of an unknown band, and so this ended up working perfectly. What an awesome game. That's actually next on my list of, like, games I want to replay with Joe that I grew up with. Uh, Dude, I would love yeah, to show her full The thing throttle. is, is, like, I'm so glad they went with the Gone Jackals, because the fact that it, it really made it feel like score, because nobody yep. knew this band. If you had used Soundgarden, it would be that kind of thing where it's like, oh, the game studio has a lot of money to throw at some local popular band but right. this kind of felt more like it immerses you into this like fantasy biker future world it's, it's so just perfect amazing. now let's move on to a really fun and unique soundtrack this is the genesis game ristar uh i say ristar maybe some people might say restar um it's r-i-s-t-a-r it's such a fun score it's composed by tomoko sasaki um and I it's really Rister. groovy <laughs> it's it's really groovy and a lot of fun Let's take a listen to my favorite track from this game. This is Round 5-2, Ice Scream. You guys are listening to Round 5 to Ice Scream from Ristar, composed by Tomoko Sasaki. I love the arpeggios, I love the panning. Really cool tune. Yeah, Sasaki has a unique style, and this Genesis score doesn't really remind me of anything else. Um, but it does feel classic for the era. It's just... Dude, it's so insane to me how quickly video games evolved, how quickly game music changed. It's like, when you listen to this, yeah. you can feel that, like, Sonic 3 has just come out, you yeah. know, a year earlier, and we're in that sort of, like, New Jack swing territory, that sort of Michael Jackson dangerous album sound. And yet, if you think about this... In essentially five years into the future, we have Halo. So it's yeah. like, it's such a compressed amount of time. And 10 years before, you had like the launch of the NES in America. So it's like, it's such a compressed amount of time where the game industry really went. And when I think about the last 15 Blazing years, fast. they more or less feel sort of indistinguishable. I mean, a big mm -hmm. concepts change, but you kind of can't. That first 15, 20 years of video games were just like an insanely exponential curve in terms of growth. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, I'm glad we're able to focus on this game today because I think 
there's a lot of people that may have overlooked it. Um, and this is, again, kind of a subjective list. I made this list. I tried to include some of uh, really all of Jared's call outs. He only called out a few and they were all uh pretty pretty easy choices but yeah there's some surprising choices as well i wanted to give uh, this is a good time a couple of honorable mentions a couple of games that we didn't have time to include today we have street fighter alpha we have knuckles chaotix castlevania dracula x east 5 front mission air combat which is the original ace combat oh my game god recently focused on so those are the ones that didn't how, make it how is that possible that those didn't make it that shows it's you pretty crazy an outstanding episode I, I felt like when you were doing that it was like the tone of an in memoriam thing <laughs> where we we're like saying names because That's it's just funny. like what exceptional i can't believe we're not going to play dracula x but well like, if you're confused no why that is um let's move on to a track that definitely <laughs> deserves it more this is l from terranigma one of my favorite pieces of video game music an absolute classic. Uh, this game was composed by Miyoko Kobayashi and Masanori Hikichi. Let's take a listen. You guys are listening to L from Terranigma, and oh my god, what what a playlist today. What a year. Oh, it's just the best. Um, and we have, you know, plenty of outstanding JRPG music <laughs> from the Super Nintendo today, so we're not going to end with this one, but Kobayashi Kichi did a really outstanding job. Terranigma is oh, just such an amazing score. And this is, I think, the best track. Yeah, it's it's really phenomenal. It's so gripping and captivating. And melodically, it has so many of the features that we really love about this era. Uh, this, you know, super Famicom RPG. This heartfelt, tender, painful melody that evokes certain composers of film music, maybe certain songwriters. But it's this form that is entirely Japanese and entirely game specific and yeah a piece of music like this is really i mean it's it's one of the all-time greats i think it's up there with anything from the final fantasy or zelda series in terms sure. of like being a, a time capsule of a period and being a a really moment of, of rare form it's kind of like when you look at classical music you know there were some composers who were popular in their day making great 
art. And there are some composers who totally weren't. But some of those people we talk about more than the people who were popular in the day. And I do think this particular piece of music, as the years roll on, at least for me, is I hold it up there as one of the all-time classics. And I hope that going yes. forward, decades into the future, this particular soundtrack and this piece of music is like one of those pieces that gets preserved for all time. It's, it's, it's just it definitely so deserves it. And what I love about some of the choices today is we have a handful of really strong examples of what we call melodic ambience. And I think this track has that too. You know, that repeated riff is so vibey and atmospheric, but the melody on this piece is incredibly strong. And we have a couple more examples well, of that. I'm glad you mentioned today. that because it actually does remind me of Kenji Yamamoto and David yeah. Wise. That sort of longing minor with a lot of repeated bum, 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 kind of production-y bum, 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 panning yep. effects. But even that... We'll get that effect so more today. to me. Uh, let's now move to the Game Boy. It's really cool we, we have that. So we still have some 8-bit music happening in 95. Not on the NES. Uh, that would have wrapped up the year before. Uh, with titles such as Wario's Woods. Um, but yeah, nothing from the NES this late, but we still have a lot of Game Boy entries, and we have a great classic one, Kirby's Dreamland 2, which was actually composed by Hirokazu Ando and Tadashi Ikegami, which is interesting. Uh, let's take a listen to Ku's theme. <laughs> listening to Ku's theme from Dreamland 2 for the Game Boy by Ando and Ikegami. It's so classic. Oh my god. We've only played this, I think, once, and it was probably a long, long time ago. But it's like, it's one of those pieces of music that feels like it's been with you your whole life. It's so galloping and just exciting and charming and Everything we love about VGM, right, Will? Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to live in an era where there's, like, nobody around that wouldn't just immediately appreciate this or understand its appeal. Because it's just, like, I feel like for people of a certain generation, they heard stuff like this in such a shallow way where they just heard it as, like, oh, it's just beeps and bloops and it's just, like, saccharine yeah. and unsophisticated. But it's, like, to those of us that grew up with this... This is one of the most infectious types of music I can possibly imagine. It's so direct. Absolutely. It's so melodic. It's so catchy. Every aspect of its primitive, you know, three-voice, basic square lead <laughs> synth sound is devoted to just pure delight. Whether it's from the, that simple arpeggio, that bass line, that chord progression that is, like, direct and honest, but, like, really well-crafted. So much old game music has this quality. It's this is just masterful It hits you right away. But honestly, I think all of the artsy composers and, you know, musicians that would have balked at this at the time, I really doubt any of them could have accomplished the heights of what something like this does. It's it's a perfect yep. machine 
machine. And it's like just so delightful from start well, to Well, we're keeping the train rolling and it's absolutely overwhelming how many massive titles we have. We're now moving on to Donkey Kong Country 2, composed by Dave Wise. We have one of the definite all-time classics on the system, the SNES. It's Sticker Bush Symphony. guys are listening to sticker bush symphony uh i I already called up before the idea of melodic ambience that i think l was dabbling with but this is one of the strongest examples in any medium of melodic ambience you start off this vibey bed of atmosphere and then you bring in such an emotional melody when the drum beat comes in it's just such a payoff and it's one of those pieces of music where it makes you feel like the level you're playing is more important than it really is. These levels are, we've already had this gameplay before. It's the kind of gameplay we had in um, Aquatic Ambiance in the first game where you're kind of, uh, it, it's kind of like, they're not water levels, but they're kind of similar to, to them because there's these like, you know, prickly things all around you that you kind of have to avoid. And so it, there's nothing particularly like moving about this level if it wasn't for this piece. I mean, this piece just makes <laughs> makes it feel like you're really in an emotional part of the game. Yeah, I think David Wise is brilliant. Uh, his his writing is so it's emotional brilliance. It's 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 logical brilliance. I mean, it's on every level you can analyze it. It seems like every choice is so thoughtful, yet spontaneous in his his free-flowing compositional process. It seems like one idea floats into another and grows into another. It's yep. a kind of musical impressionism that you can't get from classical music because of the limits of acoustics. But in a sort of produced, recorded medium, you can have 
atmospheric elements that fade in and fade out. But this isn't in service of, you know, techno house music, big with a beat, or even, you know, more vibe music and trance, because it's so melodic. It's yeah. so, it's like a melody that you could sing, and it feels romantic and rich and timeless, yet in this unique modern way that... I, I'm sorry, no one other than video game music and no one other than David Wise well, at this point in time and then was the last writing music thing, that sounded like this. The last piece of the puzzle here is the implementation on the Super Nintendo. There are tons and tons of remixes of this piece and they're fun to listen to. But if I want to listen to this, I'm going to go back to the original yes. and there's nothing lacking about this presentation. Yeah, and particularly like some of the unique novel twists... Uh, the bass movement where it's like kind of the bass is actually dissonant with what's happening in the chord or yeah. some of the unique turns of phrase that are so powerful and emotional. I'll never forget hearing Dave play this at MAGFest, particularly when I was far away from the stage because it was in the main atrium area. And so it was just reverberating through this yeah. giant. It felt like you were in an outdoor cathedral or palace. I mean, the acoustics are so unreal, the amount of echo and the way the sound reverberates. But it was a it was a spiritual experience for me hearing this particular piece of music that I have so much nostalgia and fondness for. But it's so tenderly composed and yeah, it's so absolutely. atmospheric. It's it's almost psychedelic. It transports you. And hearing it in that context was like, I'm never gonna forget that. Just the, the sonic sound of that. Well, it's safe to say that on this playlist, the majority of these titles would have been on just best of 95 when it comes to games, not even talking about music. Some of the most popular and beloved games of that year. This next choice is not the case for that. This is just a wonderful soundtrack that's that's probably a little obscure. It's a podcast classic for us, it's a, it's, but it would not be on a lot of people's lists. It's on ours. Minnesota Fats Pool Legend. <laughs> we have to. Play I love it. It's like, yeah, this. we can't do Castlevania Dracula X, but we do have time for Minnesota Fats Pool Legend. I mean, I love Bloodlines, <laughs> the track, but other than that, uh, I mean, I don't know. I I would rather play something from this, to be honest. This is the Fine Draw um, by Shogo Sakai and Company for the Genesis. Let's take a listen. This is the fine draw. It's a fine piece of jazz music from Minnesota Fats. Uh, for the Genesis, Shogo Sakai was the lead composer. We also do have Masaki Iwasaki and Saiji Momoi that joined for this title. It's such an amazing score, and it's a little silly we're including it, 
Um, yes, Castlevania Dracula X way more popular, and some people might have chosen it over this, but I don't know. I mean, this this music is so finely composed. It's some of the best jazz VGM written in this era, and it's yeah, it's funny I mean, that it's maybe for a arguably game, ever. It's, it's just it, so authentic, and it's just really delightful. I I do want to say that I did um you know exercise some restraint here because. There's a couple other titles I could have included that I didn't. One of them was Waterworld. <laughs> you know how much I love that. One of them was Mark Davis, a fishing master. You know how much I love that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a couple others. So I did have some restraint. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is the advantage of doing a historical look like this is it doesn't matter what was a popular game in the era. We're just yeah. scouring for our favorite, the examples of musical excellence in this period yep. that we want to showcase. And to me, with looking at this playlist, it's just freaking amazing piece of music after amazing piece of music. I don't, looking back at it, especially, because it's one thing to live through it, but looking back yeah. at it, I don't understand how anyone could see all the these totality of this output and see that this is this was a burgeoning artistic medium how someone could not see that blows me away because it's just there's such creativity there's such exuberance sometimes you have to zoom in out in order output. to see it uh, let's move on to a title for the Sega Saturn that was released in 1995 it's Panzer Dragoon we're going to play a really beautiful piece of orchestral music it's Flight composed by Yoshitaka Azuma guys listening to flight from panzer dragoon it's such a 90s piece of orchestral music it's really melodic and beautiful a little on the cheesy side uh, when it comes to how the sounds very reverberant um but yeah it's 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 a really great composition and orchestration i don't know if azuma was in involved in the orchestration as well but it's it reminds you of like japanese film music or anime music of this decade i think what's <laughs> what's interesting about recorded orchestral music is that as timeless as the orchestra is you can kind of identify every single 
decade of recorded music just by yeah. listening to how the orchestra was engineered and produced. Like, for sure. You're not going to mistake the sound of a 1930s recording for a 1970s recording. And you're not right. going to mistake a 1990s recording for a 2000s and, you know, into the yep. now we're in the 20s. They, they, they all have different sonic stylistic choices. And I think when I was a kid, I just heard the orchestra and I didn't hear all those styles. But now you realize it's like they're as distinct as any other genre of i'm sure if you tra- trace the evolution of jazz or rock music or pop music from decade to decade you can really hear the sonic differences but it's the same with orchestra you know what i love about about this track is you have the driving incessant marching snare drum which really helps to give a sense of momentum in that this is an active piece of music where the player is flying or doing something really exciting throughout the entirety of listening to this. But you have a lot of room around that, that, that pulse uh, to explore a lot of beauty, a lot of emotion, but it has this driving pulse to it. And so I think that's one of the reasons why it's particularly engaging as a this piece is, of music. Well, this is a random thought, but there, there's a quality to this melody that really reminds me of John Bryan. Not really the arrangement or kind of the the overall sound of it, but there's a theme that he wrote for, I think it was one of John Mulaney's stand-up specials. And huh. it's like he was actually playing organ when he was at Radio City. Uh, and he wrote this tune that goes, and it's like that kind of same tune. It was going for something old fashioned, but he's another composer I really adore. Well, we're now going to move on to a back-to-back smattering of Super Nintendo. Let's start off with Dragon Quest VI, which came out in 1995. The score was composed by Koichi Sugiyama, and we're going to play In the Town. Masterful writing. You guys are listening to In the Town, and I believe this might have been our track of the week on our Dragon Quest episode, so it's definitely one of the strongest entries in the series, one of our personal favorite entries in the series. Um, and and I kind of chose this one because it contrasted some of the other Super Nintendo music that we're playing today. I thought this was a nice change of pace. 
Man, this is you, good. You know what's interesting about our parents' generation of the baby boomers? They would totally not appreciate something like this. But you know who might? Their parents' generation. Because, you well, know, I, funny. I constantly go back to old, like, interviews with Leonard Bernstein from the 50s. Mm -hmm. Or you look at his young people's concerts. And, you know, he brought a Moog synthesizer on stage to play Bach. And... Mm -hmm. This whole audience was captivated at the future of these sonic potentials. If Bernstein could have heard this, this neoclassical piece, authentically written in what sounds like either a 19th or 18th even century style, melodically, right. arrangement, harmonically, all the development of it, it's like he really would have been inspired about hope for the future, that in the future yeah. we'll live in this sort of postmodern era where people have the entire history of music at their disposal in terms of what their creative output can be. And there's also excuses to go for older styles. You know, like this is a perfect example, a perfect reason why you would want to go for something classic and comforting and something that sounds like it's from another age. I mean, how many RPGs take place in another age, right? Yeah. I mean, it's such a good point. And I mean, I think uh, Sugiyama is a composer who has sort of the, the pedigree and the training and the skill, I think, to be able to execute, you know, composition at this level, uh, and in this right. particular idiom. But I think that's the thing that fascinates me so much about Japan is because while I think our cultures are compatible in terms of, you know, so much Japanese media really appeals to Americans. And I think vice versa, our, our, our cultures, our traditions are the reality of, you know, our, our cities and our, you know, environments are so different. And so it's like mm -hmm. somebody like Sugiyama, it's so hard for me to relate to what it would be like having an, a, a revered established composer like that, akin to a John Williams or a Leonard Bernstein or a, you know, one of these like high trained revered composers who works across media, but someone of that age that also wrote, video game music on the nes and super nintendo it's like it, it, that's such a hard thing for me to imagine well i guess John it would be like if if music. michael giacchino just keeps you know getting more and more sophisticated in his music and turns into this gray-haired orchestral master I and mean, he's definitely i mean there's people who already call him that um, he did, you know, have some origins in video games. So it does happen from time to time. Right. Well, and I think what's also interesting, though, is like by that point, video games will be established. It would be like if he continued yeah. and then started doing TikTok videos that were blowing up or oh, like whatever the next medium is for me. I'm not trying to compare games to TikTok, but thank you. You see what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. It is time to move on to this week's track of the week. 1995 saw the release of... Chrono Trigger. Definitely the best score released in 1995, and I think this is the best piece of music released for a video game in this year. This is composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. We're going to play, not surprisingly, Secret of the Forest. This game came out for the Super Nintendo. Let's take a listen. Thank you. 
listening to Secret of the Forest from Chrono Trigger by Mitsuda-san. And yes, I would love to have a conversation in some sort of other framing than we've had before. We've said everything we need to say about this track in the past. So what else can we, how else can we frame this? How else can we talk about this piece of music as it relates to 1995 and the other composers and, and games that we've heard today? You know, I it think blows all of them all music, the, wa- the water, really. <laughs> well, this music really serves as a time capsule and to travel back in time and to hear that, like, wow, this is so much of the art that was being made that year that I was born. And to me, this stuff all feels so much older or more timeless or yeah. from another era. And part of that was at the moment of inception, it, it had these qualities. I mean, so much of Super Nintendo music evokes classical, impressionist, orchestral, jazz, older forms of music. It, I agree with you that it does feel older than you, but it's pretty crazy that Chrono Trigger is the exact same age as you. Every single title we're talking about today is the exact same age as you. It doesn't, don't these titles feel older? I, I really think they do, but I think part of that comes from our feeling of you and I are getting older and we still perceive like me as like the youngest newest generation but now it's like I don't know I'm 25 years old so there I mean when we started this podcast I was like 15 or 16 so it's like really that that yeah. is now the newest generation and even younger I, I mean you were 16 are, I believe so I mean but I don't know I, I, I do remember. think that it's kind of like as old as this music seems, I do think quite a lot of time has elapsed. Like I heard something crazy that to us right now, the 90s is as far away to the current generation as the 1960s were to people in the 90s. Yeah. Which is unbelievable to me because mm-hmm. the 60s just seems so old and the 90s feels like, didn't it just happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember having these judgmental thoughts because I was born in 88 and I remember when I was in elementary school or even, you know, junior high or whatever. And I would hear like, Oh, this person was born in 1990. I'd be like, Oh, you're so young. If you weren't born in the eighties, you're just like a baby. And now, you know, you think about people (laughs) that were born in 2000 and they're 21 years old or like, you know, it's like right. when you go to a liquor store now, what it says is you have to look for a license that's 2000 or older. It's like, oh, my God, I just right. cannot fathom that. I know. Yeah, that is that is a hard thing for us to accept, but accept it. We must because it's the it's the reality of the world. And I think the other thing that's hard for me to gauge is like I had mentioned this before that I feel like the recent you know, 20 years of games have almost developed less than the the first. Uh, and I think that part of that might have to do with you and I getting older, time perceiving itself to move faster and us being less plugged into like the contemporary scene of games than we were when we were kids and playing right. the current games of that era. Yep. 
Well, now let's move on to something very different. We're going to go to an arcade game that was released in 1995 that has an absolutely outstanding soundtrack. This is Twin B Yahoo, which was featured on our Twin B episode. This track is Sky Swimming Stage 2, and it's composed by Akihiro Juichia and Kazuhiro Senu. You guys are listening to Sky Swimming, which is stage two from Twin B Yahoo, which came out originally for the arcade. I think it was also released for a console around this time, too. So, yeah, it was fun to be able to have at least one arcade entry today. And I do think this one would be missed on some people's list. And, and if it wasn't for that Twin B episode, you know, this might not have been something that jumped out at me. But it's an outstanding score, and it deserves to be on here today. Carl, you'd be really proud of me. Uh, this past week, in school, one of our assignments was to pick three locations in points in time and to take the same melody and, and score it in different ways. And the first one that I thought of was uh, 70s and 80s era Japanese jazz fusion. Nice. Um, because I think that is a particular style of music that so few people really realize and understand how impa- in- impactful it's been on the music of today because i think mm-hmm. when you look at and that's clearly like this twin b music is totally derived out of that tradition these chords these sort of melodic gestures the kinds of sounds the types of grooves we're emulating it's interesting i think when people in the west think of jazz fusion i do think they also think of a lot of 70s bands but a very different sound a very different association to what we have with it where so much of the japanese jazz fusion was very poppy and was very like kind of accessible in this way that Uh, I think is so influential to early game music. And I think games are really the form where this melodic and harmonically satisfying style, this sugary rich style uh, really came into its own and reached, in my opinion, its apex of development. Well, we're going to go back to the Super Nintendo. I'm sorry. I tried to have as much variety as possible, but it just continues to dominate this playlist. And we're going to go back to the Mega Man series. The same year that 7 came out, Mega Man X3 also came out. And this was composed by the wonderful Kanuyo Yamashita. And the for, track... for a second, Carl, I was kind of thinking like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? This is a Super <laughs> Nintendo episode, isn't it? <laughs> that speaks volumes. Track we're going to play from X3 is Gravity Beetle. Mm-hmm. 
You guys are listening to Gravity Beetle from Mega Man X3, composed by Yamashita, who is a wonderful VGM composer. Uh, this came out the same year as Seven, and it has a very different sound and style. I love the sound of X3. It's really cool for her to be able to incorporate her unique style of composition into this series, and she's kind of fitting in to the Mega Man mold, but also, you know, kind of taking it to some new places too. I think really good. Uh, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that Kinyo Yamashita is among the greatest melodists of her generation of game composers. I, I really think the some of the tunes that she wrote. I mean, so just powerful, Castlevania right? One alone and Mega Man X Three alone. Like any one of those is like so freaking seminal and she so has impressive. these knockout melodies yeah. that just hit you like a brick. Yeah, she's absolutely unbelievable. I, I'm freaking out a little because Carl uh, mentioned to me while we were playing this that uh, Yamashita-san actually lives in the she U.S. She lives in the U.S. I don't. Oh I have tried to remember where. Um, now that I've heard this, I feel determined, especially post-COVID, that Carl and I have to drive to wherever she lives and try to like, get an interview like, with her. It looks like she currently lives in New Jersey. So, yes, we are definitely going to have to do a road trip at some point. Yes. I mean, my friend Beryl's from New Jersey, so maybe she could like <laughs> help us navigate the city. Let's move on to the Virtual Boy. It makes sense that at least one entry would be on this playlist from the Virtual Boy, especially after that episode, right? We discovered an outstanding score, Galactic Pinball, composed by the wonderful Kenji Yamamoto. Let's take a listen to Lucky Star. guys listening to lucky star from galactic pinball what a great soundtrack kind of a diamond in the rough by kenji yamamoto this came out in 1995 crazy to think of the year after uh super, super metroid. metroid and uh y- you can hear the same mind the particular pitches he goes to, da, 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 that particular harmonic progression that opening sound of this big lush yeah i mean galactic pinball is a unsurprisingly a very spacey and ethereal score it's a little bit listen to that chord that just happened there i mean where you get that augmented with the major seven or the sound of it yeah oh my god almost polytonal there at minute it's like if you picture like an e major seven chord over c or something like it's like a really well this isn't the wildest track from galactic pinball i mean there's a lot of super wild ones so if you haven't checked out this this whole score check it out 
feels like a foreshadower of contemporary, like American jazz fusion. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? That sort of like the particular palette of the electronic, almost psychedelic quality of this harmony in this particular arpeggio. This reminds me of something I'd hear by like a current artist or somebody like Jacob Collier or something. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, mm-hmm. it's it's so hip. The groove of yeah. it, the harm, the the harmonic language of it, the melodic lines. This is it's it's funny how some of this music just sounds so old, like it sounds 80s or very retro. And something right. like this, if you take it outside of the context of being, you know, a Game Boy title, this feels as relevant and like this could have been released yesterday. It's super it, vibrant music, absolutely, really good stuff, and a kind of a diamond in the rough. Let's move on to a beloved classic, maybe uh, the game that means the most to me and Will personally out of anything on this list. This is Yoshi's Island. Yes, this came out in 1995, composed by Koji Kondo. Let's play the first stage theme that you hear when you fire this game up. It's Flower Garden. You guys are listening to Flower Garden from Yoshi's Island. Uh, it's so adorable, so classic to us, very nostalgic. This is composed by Koji Kondo. We have, including this track, there's one, two, three, four, five tracks left, and in, in three of them, Super Nintendo. Uh, so, yeah, We're I mean, they, someday, it Carl. just dominated this I, year. I refuse to end my time on Earth without getting to like tell Koji Kondo in person. Like, I don't know what a genius he is. I know that seems like kind of an immature, you know, you just have to let people live well, their lives. Funny but that... he in particular seems like, I think, one of but the most undervalued. But don't you find it funny that, like, that's more important to you. That's like, you need that. It's not, like, about him. It's like, we don't know if he's going to react at all to that. Like, oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a good Thanks. question. I do it's feel really like, more about though, you. <laughs> like, you that's need to tell him that. Well, I think I just want someone to tell him that. I feel like there are so many people that love his music. There are so many people that like will play it or talk about it. But I do feel like most of the people in a yeah. public sense or in any capacity that I've interacted with who's met him, I don't think they've kind of lauded him in the specific way that Maybe that's you good. and I are talking Maybe about. Maybe that's why he keeps being so good. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you almost okay. don't want to mess with the magic. But I want to inspire him to like, hey, you got to start writing more for the sake of the world. 
So I'm confused now. Now basically you're saying that you're just going to try to guilt him or you're going to try to get him to, to work harder. I mean, you've talked about getting enough money to like pay and force Masato Nakamura to like write at gunpoint new Genesis true. music. So <laughs> maybe, maybe they should get a restraining order against yeah, us. Yeah, it's possible. We just love them so much and we love their works. Um, okay, let's move on to a Super Nintendo, really Super Famicom title. Um, this is Saiken Densetsu 3. Some people know this game as Trials of Mana. It was released, you guessed it, in 1995, composed by Hiroki Kikuda. Let's take a listen to a beautiful piece of music called Hope, Isolation, Pray. You guys are listening to Hope Isolation Pray. It's so emotional and beautiful. Composed by Kikuda from Trials of Mana is how most people know it. Released originally for the Super Famicom in 95. And one thing that is interesting to me now listening to this in the context of this 1995 playlist and all these other tracks are in my head, most notably all the other Super Nintendo tracks, is this might be the most primitive sounding implementation today for the Super Nintendo. I don't, and I never really was a particular fan of how um, Saiken Densetsu 3 sounded. Um, it's definitely a little bit rougher around the edges than, you know, some of the the kind of SNES masterpieces that we've heard, such as Terranigma, Chrono Trigger, DKC2. I do think the reality... A little bit less confidence in the samples. Uh, the reality is, though, it's like none of this music is it, it, it almost doesn't matter it's like this music is so out of date that when you yeah, listen and, to the music you listen well, to the composition yeah you listen to the composition and and that's definitely true is that when you listen to a piece like this you almost don't care what the samples sound like because it's such a beautiful and emotional piece what a great score you know i yeah, think that this melody might is so actually strong, be that yeah if I was going to be honest, this is my favorite Kakuta score. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. It's so I strong. think it's better than Secret of Mana. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that melody is so strong. The yada da 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 it, It's so... It feels like an eternal phrase that could have existed yep. for hundreds of years, but it's also so distinct to this time, that sort of like ninth rubby, quasi-jazz, dark, mysterious sound. So good. Okay, 
One more entry on the Sega Genesis before we leave this episode here. And this barely made the playlist, and I'm really glad it did. This is a, a really wonderful piece of Genesis music. It's from Light Crusader, which was composed by Akihata. This is Dungeon 1. Let's take a listen. everyone put on their prog hats before we played this one so good this is dungeon one from light crusader by akihata and i tried to have as much variety as i could and so one of the reasons i made sure to include this is because i wanted just a little bit more genesis representation today this is oh my god this is such a good track yeah this is really exceptional writing again hard to believe that uh all of this music came out in the same year because yep. there really is such a stylistic range and we feel like the convergence of multiple different eras are almost like what feels like eons of music intersecting at one point. It's like there's so much variety here. I just don't it's think pretty crazy. many other points of musical time are as ver- versatile as like what happened in the 20th century, which is unbelievable that you well, can take almost any one year the... and see such a breadth of different uh, writing and different but music, this year, different art might be the most diverse and varied because, and it was why I was so excited to do it, is because you have PS1, Saturn, Super Nintendo, Genesis, Game Boy, Arcade, Virtual Boy. You have you have so many different generations of systems yeah. that are all still releasing games at the same time. And uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that you can go from orchestral to 8-bit to crappy samples to FM synth, it's it's pretty insane. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Let's move on to Lufia 2. Yes, we have more outstanding RPG music for the Super Nintendo. This is The Savior of Those on Earth, composed by Yasunori Shiono. Here we go.
absolutely classic. You guys are listening to The Savior of Those on Earth. I adore Lufia 2. This brings me back to that really fun episode we did, um, Spotlighting on the Score by Shiono. This is maybe my favorite track in the game. The SNES absolutely dominated this year, but in any case, what an amazing year for not just video game music, but art. Uh, it's just yeah. such amazing stuff. Well, and in every one of these cases, those two terms are one and the same. Yeah. Uh, all of these are examples of exquisite pieces of significant art. Really monumental, delightful. So very so Much of it pop art, much of it, you know, in various different styles. But uh, honestly, yeah, a, a breathtaking example of a time capsule of a particular year. And I feel yep. so inspired to think that this is the year I was born. It's like when we did the 88 episode. It's really yeah. exciting to think that it's like sometimes I think you can fall into that trap of you know, fearing that like, oh, I'm born in the wrong time or I belonged in a different era. But I think when you can look at like the period in which you were born and see great examples of art, it's inspiring that it's like, oh, I want to try to make stuff that's good enough to live up to the the time that I arrived on Earth. I don't want to make things worse. I want to make things better or at least up to the standard yeah, of what I mean, all these great people from the past have done. I'm I'm taking a look at our 1988 playlist now, and it was an outstanding year. I might have to admit that you have a slightly better year for VGM than I do. Um, I'm looking at some of the ones from 88, though. I mean, it is pretty awesome. Ninja Gaiden, Blaster Master, Gradius 2, Mario 2. 95 was a East weird... Two. It was a weird point where it was this intersection where it's like the NES is very much in our recent memory. The Super Nintendo is arguably at its prime. The PS1 is on the scene, and we're just yeah. about to get to, you know, the Nintendo 64 era. And so it's like there's such a... It really is the peak of the crossroads before the rubber band snaps in a whole <laughs> new era of video games and kind of the, in many ways the era I feel like we're still living in is yeah. like what happened just after this period. Well, speaking of that, uh, we had talked about it, but this is actually the one entry from the PS1 that made our episode. It's the playout today. It's from Jumping Flash. A really cool score. This is World 6-1 Distant Cosmos, composed by Takeo Miratsu, again, for the PS1. And so that's what we're going to send everyone on your way with. Thank you so much, Jared, for this great idea and for your support. I love these year episodes. This one is really tough to beat. I don't know what would be a good idea for our next year spotlight, but um, this was so much fun. Did you have a good time, Will? I had a wonderful time. This is... I think one of the most delightful episodes we've done in such a long time. I, I would agree. I really enjoyed this. Anytime we can go back through the classics, it's so revivifying. It just reminds me of why, for me personally, why I love music, why I adore video game music, why I'm so grateful to have this podcast and all of our incredible listeners who yeah. um, support us and inspire us. And you, Carl, getting the opportunity of doing this show together. It's like, to me music like this is the real reason why we do this absolutely it brings not only us together but hopefully all of you listening it brings us all together one big happy family enjoy distant cosmos from jumping flash it's a really cool and funky tune thank you so much everyone for listening i think that's about it we'll be back with you next week my name is carl brueggemann and i'm will brueggemann have a great week everybody peace out